If a small flock of cartoon bluebirds didn't help you get dressed this morning, that just means you haven't yet listened to Fine-Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor. No, the black dress slacks, please. Thank you. And now, Jim Hill. Welcome to Fine-Tuning with Drew Taylor. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this episode on Tuesday, October 1st, 2019, which is just a day or so after Abominable... Okay, Drew, they're officially calling this a DreamWorks Animation and Pearl Studios co-production, right? Yes, correct. Okay, so anyway, Abominable came out on top at the box office this past weekend. Number one... And actually had some fairly strong competition. Doubt Nabby hung in there for weekend two. It did 20.6 domestic, an additional 10.3 million overseas. So worldwide opening gross of 30.9 million, which, okay. So that's not Toy Story 4 money. That Pixar Animation Studios movie made 120 million over its opening weekend back in June. And but let's remember that when that happened, all anybody in the industry could talk about was that was perceived as kind of an underperformance by the fourth Toy Story movie, right? Yeah. I don't think anyone publicly said that, but I think there was there was a lot of expectation, I think. Virtually the same weekend, a year before, The Incredibles 2 comes out and it does $182 million domestic. So it, it literally does one and a half times the business that Toy Story 4 did. So, uh, you know, that caught a lot of people's attention. But anyway, we're not talking about Toy Story 4 here. We're talking about Abominable. And because this DreamWorks Animation Pearl Studios production came out in theaters in September when the kids are back in school, the box office expectations were, were far more modest, which is why, you know, if you talk with the folks over at Universal, they seem genuinely pleased with ticket sales uh, so far for this Jill Colton movie. Speaking of so, did you see that they were able to actually talk up the fact that even with a 20.6 opening weekend domestic, that still managed to make this the biggest opening for an original animated film in 2019? And boy, what does that say about this year? Yeah, not too many originals, though. Most yeah. things have the, the a number after the title this year, mm-hmm. but... Secret Life of Pets arrived in theaters June 7th of this year, and Universal Pictures Home Entertainment made the digital version of that Illuminations Entertainment film available for purchase on August 13th, just nine and a half weeks after Secret Life of Pets 2 was theatrically released, and then the physical Blu-ray DVD hit store shelves on August 27th, with 11 and a half weeks after Illumination Entertainment was released theatrically. So... If that pattern holds, Drew, the 9.5 for digital, 11.5 for Blu-ray, that means Abominable is actually going to be available for purchase digitally first week of December, and the Blu-ray DVD is going to be out there for purchase the week before Christmas, which I'm old enough that, you know, I associate Christmas with the Abominable Snowman. Come on, Rudolph. You know, so, I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways that's a really smart, slot to release this film i mean it'll be, it, this would be the perfect movie to put in the tablet for the kids to, to watch or put in the dvr while getting holiday stuff done there's also a element of awards consideration too this is in. true 
Because if a movie is available on digital and out on store shelves, mm-hmm. then there's more awareness, there's mm-hmm. more access to the movie. And if they want a Best Animated Feature nomination, which I think they, they'll probably secure, mm-hmm. um, then that's a great way to do it. Excellent point. Speaking of which, though, did you see the piece that Variety did the other day about release dates? Talking about in this age when Disney is such a behemoth with Marvel and Pixar and Star Wars and feature animation that the other studios are really scrambling to secure release dates. But one of the things they also have to take into consideration now when they're like, okay, which release date do I pick? They have to do things like, well, is season four of Stranger Things dropping that weekend? Or is Activision putting out the next Call of Duty in that same window of time. And I don't know, it's such a weird media landscape now. Oh, speaking of Netflix, though, you know how you've been after me because I didn't get to see Toy Story 4 in theaters or or anything this summer? Yes. I've been after you for months now to watch BoJack Horseman. I started it. I watched the very first episode. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, So, the the train has left the station. Don't worry. Very cool. All right, good to hear. Well... Just this week, we had the trailer drop for the next season of BoJack Horseman, which, as it turns out, is the sixth and final season of this Netflix series. And they're kind of borrowing a page from from Disenchantment. The first half of season six is supposed to premiere on Friday, November, or excuse me, Friday, October 25th. And then the second half of season six will be available for streaming basically three months later, on uh, January 31st, 2020, Aaron Paul, who voices Todd Chavez on this animated series for adults, took to Twitter to sort of vent his frustration at Netflix's decision, which earlier on, this cancellation was being spun as sort of, it, it was a creative decision. It was a Raphael Bob Waxberg, the, the creator of BoJack, was out there saying they'd always planned for just six seasons and so this was the natural conclusion of the show and given that Raphael has undone set up over at Amazon kind of made sense that they'd be wrapping up the storyline with season six but Aaron Paul is out there going no wait a minute there was nothing we could do about this you know when it came to Bojack's cancellation Netflix thought it was time to close the curtain and so here we are you know here's Aaron Paul saying this on Twitter Yet in this same window of time, Aaron Paul is out doing publicity for El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie. Yeah. Which Netflix is also putting out. Yeah. And so now having basically shut off his mouth about, yeah, well, you guys canceled BoJack. We wanted to keep it going. How would you like to be the publicist? <laughs> <laughs> you know, who's handling this? All right. Yeah. Because now yeah. this question's got to come up. In every interview, everybody's going to take a a swing at, well, what do you mean by that? And suddenly, we're not talking about the Breaking Bad movie anymore, so. Can't wait for that Breaking Bad movie, though, let me just say. Very true. Well, it's been six years, you know. But six years is nothing compared to ten years. And just this past weekend, we saw the tenth season of Robot Chicken launch on Adult Swim. And to commemorate that, they've done a brand new opening for the show where they have the mad scientist and the chicken they start off by trying to piece the nerd together who, I don't know if you saw the end of uh, season nine, they, they basically killed off that character by having him jump the Grand Canyon on a motorcycle only to smash into a taco truck and explode. 
what's cool about the opening is that as it's closing the logo, the T at the end of robot and the EN at the end of chicken turn metallic blue. So you actually acknowledge it's season 10. That started on an adult swim this past Sunday in the midnight slot. And uh, speaking of adult swim, we talked last week about Gennady Tartakovsky's Primal, which yes. uh, actually starts next week, Monday, October 7th. But you have some additional news about the show? Yes, so I saw four episodes, and I was told that that was the entire series, but mm-hmm. it's not. There's a fifth episode called Rage of the Ape Man that's going to be on Friday, October 11th, although mm-hmm. technically October 12th, because it's mm-hmm. going to be on at midnight, and that there are actually five more episodes in development, wow. which is very exciting. So... Spear and Fang, your your two favorite caveman dinosaur combo, uh, will be back for future mayhem. Unclear when exactly, but they will be back. Well, that's again, Kennedy's a busy guy, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see when he, he can do this again. And and speaking of stuff that's in development, we've got these Forky Ask a Question shorts that are being done for Disney Plus. You sent me the story. I guess USA Today broke that. We're going to get to see, as part of these shorts, a character that got cut out of Toy Story 4. Do you care to share the story? Yeah, so there was a, there was a, so Giggle McDimples is this Polly Pocket type character in Toy Story 4, which Jim would understand if he'd actually seen the movie. But um, (laughs) she used to have a partner that was a little dog that was named Rib Tickles, Officer Rib Tickles. And this character got so far along that people on Twitter pointed out that there was a bunch of merchandise that had this character on it. Oh. And um, so obviously got very close to the end. It didn't make the final cut, mm-hmm. but the character will be revived for a Forky Ask a Question short on Disney+. Plus. I guess this was sort of her partner who got eaten up by Dragon, who is the cat in the antique store. But I guess what was cool about it is that McDimples is this relatively upbeat character, but they wrote this this great bit for her where and that they went heavily into the the cop tropes of that he was a week away from retirement. You know, right. it's like <laughs> And then he got eaten by that cash, you know, just sort of like, oh, I do hope this turns up in, you know, the extra features for Toy Story 4. Oh, oh. speaking of which, we were talking a little bit earlier about release dates on Blu-rays and uh, digital and Blu-rays, DVDs, that sort of thing. And what's kind of interesting is the difference between the way Universal Pictures Home Entertainment and Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment handle or handling their upcoming releases. And Again, I, I talked at length a little bit ago about Secret Life of Pets, that it went digital on August 13th, and then Blu-ray on August 27th. So there were two weeks between these two different formats. Toy Story 4, on the other hand, became av- available to purchase on digital today, October 1st. But the interesting thing is the Blu-ray and the DVD drops one week later on August 8th. And you had an interesting thought as to why that might be? Yes, I think it's because we've heard before that every Pixar feature will be on Disney Plus mm-hmm. when it debuts on November 12th. And so I am thinking that they just need to get this out because all the Pixar movies were going to be on Disney Plus a, a, a month later. So mm-hmm. that's where my head's at. That's a great explanation. And that certainly makes sense because as recently as Tail End of August, we had the live-action Aladdin. Uh, you know that became available 
uh, on August 27th digital, and then the September uh, 10th, two weeks later, we got the Blu-ray. So, you know, I mean, the pattern was holding right up until then. But yeah, it'll it'll definitely be interesting uh, out ahead of, or more to the point, after Disney Plus, you gotta wonder. That's the big question, I think. It's yeah, like, where is it going after mm-hmm. this? That business model has to be going away, or at least. And God, when you think about all of the deals that Disney, Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment has with places like Target, where it's like you have the primo placement. I mean, literally the end caps just before the you know the register so it's that last minute impulse buy and mm-hmm. you know uh, you know what happens after that speaking of which though we were just uh, you know the live action aladdin which makes me think of the next classic disney animated character to make the jump to live action and drew you just got to see maleficent mistress of evil i did i actually really liked it really okay. yeah, i did i okay. did i know it's it's shocking what did you think of the first one I was not crazy about the first one at mm. all. Um, okay. I don't know how you felt about it, but uh, yeah, it was not not my favorite uh, of the live action. But I, I thought this one was really good. It really expanded the world in a lot of really fun ways. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a little bit of a tip of the hat to the the Ivan Neural, you know, mm-hmm. Mary Blair design work of, of Sleeping Beauty. Still... Mm. Still no square trees, Jim. Mm-hmm. I don't know wh- what we have to do to get <laughs> those in one of these movies, but um, yeah, I think you're. I think you're going to get a kick out of it. It's really. It's a lot of fun. Okay, and and speaking of Ivan Earl, you went to the long lead press day for Frozen Two. Shared an interview with me just recently that you did there. That Ivan Earl turns up in in, in a surprising way in Frozen Two. Um, yes. Which we'll get to on the second half of today's show. Before we leap into the, that Frozen 2 interview that you did, Drew, we've talked a little bit in the past about I Lost My Body. Which, which, again, is that another one that's turning up on Netflix? Or It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll be on Netflix in November, I mm-hmm. believe. But okay. again, this one is going to also be positioned for the Best Animated Feature mm-hmm. Oscar. So I think that's a really interesting category, especially with Japan entering an animated feature for their foreign language. Or I, I think it has a new title, but the foreign, the foreign mm-hmm. feature category. So yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting... Interesting category. So. No, absolutely. But the, the news that just broke over the last day or so is the vocal cast for the North American release, right? Right, yes. So the North American release cast includes Dev Patel mm-hmm. from Some Dog Millionaire, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaliyah Shawcat, who is from, uh, you know, Arrested Development and a lot mm-hmm. of other things. And uh, George Went, a Cheers alum. Yeah, which I thought was kind of intriguing. I mean, face it, John Ratzenberg, you know, has been doing voices for animation since as far back as Toy Story in 95. But this is kind of interesting. George doesn't do a lot of voice work. So, yeah, going to be kind of intrigued to, to see that. Oh, oh though, speaking of voice work, we, you and I had, have been talking over the months and months now that, that Spies in Disguise has been <laughs> inside of the Disney sphere and being finagled with. And I think we talked a few months back about how they were swapping out performers, uh, bringing in new people to voice characters. 
And we've just had the new version of the Spies in Disguise trailer drop with Reba McIntyre uh, as one of the primary voices uh, going to write up front on this thing. And it really does bring a, a different energy to it. And um, Yeah, I thought this was the best trailer so far. I agree. I agree. Looks like a lot of you know smart moves on Disney's part. But more to the point, Reba McIntyre has always been one of these performers where I don't know if you, you remember there was that version of Annie Get Your Gun that was on Broadway in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it started with Bernadette Peters. And it was like, eh. And then they brought in Susan Lucci for, you know, kind of stunt casting to keep the show going. And again, it was eh. And then it was like they had three weeks left in the run. And it's like, you know, and Lucci has to leave. And so they bring in Reba McIntyre and suddenly it becomes the hottest ticket on Broadway because here's somebody who you can actually buy as, you know, a, a sharpshooting girl from the country. Mm-hmm. And for this window of time, CBS was trying to get it, you know, in, in you know how Disney used to do things like Annie, you know, they, they do the uh, stage musical as a TV movie or. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, uh, Music Man with they did Matthew Cinder- They did Cinderella, the Rodgers and Hammerstein. There we go. Cinderella, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, they, they CBS wanted to get in on this, you know, because those programming events were doing so well for ABC. So they were like, oh, let's go after Reba McIntyre and let's do Annie Get Your Gun because she's already proven it's a hit. And it was one of these things where they went to, to McIntyre and said, we want to do this. And she's like, okay, well, I'm looking at my concert schedule. And, and in five years, I have an open block of time. And, it, wow. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. So, well, maybe that's not going to happen. So, uh, but no, it's just, it's nice to have her in Spies in Disguise. And, you know, to see Disney beginning the promotional push for that. But of course... Spies in Disguise still has to, you know, it's because it's coming out December 25th. It, it has to take the backseat to Frozen 2, which has begun its promotional push. So uh, back on Monday, September 23rd, we saw the first full-blown trailer for this Chris Buck, Jennifer Lee film drop on Good Morning America. Then a week later, also on Good Morning America, uh, Monday, September 30th, we got the Frozen 2 video uh, that I guess was then loaded on YouTube where we, we got to hear the first song from the score into the unknown. Is, is that the name? Yes. Of it? Are you, do you now understand why I've been singing the song since D 23? Um, <laughs> it, is, it is an earworm. <laughs> it's a Dina Mazel, And it's like, if defying gravity from wicked and get let it go from frozen had a baby, they're giving the people what they want. Jim. You know, oh, no, that, no, absolutely. A- but it's just like, I, I feel like, you know, especially listening to the, the YouTube video, I, I just feel like that as soon as she finished singing this thing, they had to have a cot next to the microphone because, you know, it, it sounds like she blows her lungs out doing this thing. Oh, yeah. It, it's a big it's a big barnstormer of a, okay. of a song. You're going to love it. All right. And of course, uh, tail end of this week, uh, October 4th, uh, we have Triple Force Friday, which is when stores like Target start lining their shelves with toys related to Frozen 2, Star Wars Episode 9, Rise of Skywalker, and The Mandalorian. And also the game Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order. Oh, you're right. That's the Triple Force. The Frozen component is just an additional component, but the Triple Force is... Merchandise relating to the game, the show, and the movie all going on sale. Thanks for the correction there. Okay. (laughs) 
Now, the interesting thing, Dirk Lebby over at Cinema Blend uh, spoke with Mark Barilog. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the Senior Director of Marketing at Hasbro. And he, they, they were talking out ahead of Triple Force uh, Friday, and Bullock mentioned to keep certain story secrets about Rise of Skywalker from leaking prematurely, roughly 30 to 35% of the Star Wars toys that Hasbro has made for Episode Nine are deliberately being held back, not being put on store shelves on October 4th. And I was kind of wondering if the same thing was happening with Frozen 2, because I know for a fact that it happened with Toy Story 3. When you were living in, in New York, did you ever do the, the stuff that Disney would do at Toy Fair? In yeah, the- well, not Toy Fair, but remember the, those kind of holiday showcases they would do? I think there I you saw go. you at one, where yeah. you'd show up to some like warehouse in Tribeca, and they'd be, there'd be all the toys out there on tables, go. and yeah. Yeah, what was interesting for the, the Toy Story 3 preview is, I mean, they they had lots of, I mean, in fact, I, somewhere I have a very embarrassing photograph of myself going with the lots of hugging bear, which, hey, he does smell like strawberries. And the problem is, you know, that Nancy took a picture where, it looked, you know, I'm wearing a bright red Hawaiian shirt and it basically looks like a, a lotso is hugging a lotso. It's not a very flattering picture. <laughs> But anyway, what what they did at that event, they had all the toys laid out, and but they they had deliberately sort of masked one box, and this was the toy set that recreated the moment where the, the Woody, Buzz, Jesse, and the gang are at the recycling center, and you right. know, the whole notion was, well, we can't give that away. That's you know almost a dramatic climax of the story. So this one they can't talk about, but uh, but yeah, that 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 part of this Lee Unkridge movie. Uh, they kept uh, under wraps. And speaking of Lee, have you heard anything yet? I mean, remember, this guy, after 25 years at Pixar, leaves the studio on uh, in January of this year to, quote-unquote, spend more time with his family. Mm-hmm. I, I think we all kind of assumed he'd, he'd follow John over to Skydance or, or something like that. And... You know, haven't heard word one about the guy. You know, no, nope. so have not heard anything. So he may legitimately be spending time with his family. You know, yes, he might have actually followed through on that. Oh my God, <laughs> go figure. Oh, oh, and I another thing. Uh, again, I'm, I've been digging down into Bob Iger's book, uh, The Ride of a Lifetime, and there is this fascinating little throwaway in the Pixar section of the book where. Iger's trying to decide whether or not he wants to go to the Disney board and legitimately sell them on the idea of buying Pixar. So this is the fall of 2005, and Steve Jobs is trying to help him. So what he does is he sets up a day at Emeryville, and Bob goes up there, and he sits down with every one of the teams that are putting movies together for Pixar at that point. He gets to see like an almost completed version of Cars, and then he gets to see... Uh, you know, like 20 minutes of, of Wally, and you know, so they go through everything that the studio has in the works. And what's fascinating is in the middle of the section that describes this day long pitch session for Iger, they describe that Lee Unkridge is working on a movie for Pixar about what pets do in a high rise in Manhattan after their owners leave for the day. And it's one of these things where you look at that, it's like, I have seen that movie. <laughs> you know, I, and it wasn't a Pixar movie. It, it was Secret Life of Pets, and it yeah. came out 11 years later in you know, 2016. And 
had you ever heard anything about that? I have never heard that, no. And I haven't gotten that far in the book yet, so I really haven't heard it. All right. No, no, no. It's it's a throwaway, but it's fascinating. I mean, the weird thing is in this exact same section, they talk about Gary Rystrom's Newt. All sorts of concept art for that got out there. Yeah, I know. There's nothing been released about this. Maybe it was so, you know, kind of like embryonic that it didn't have art yet. I don't know. I don't know. You know, the story about Newt has always been that, you know, they they couldn't resolve the story problems. And then, of course, Rio, you know, sort of worked the exact same turf. So there, w- there was no point in going forward with it. But but this one, oh, man, if anybody's got any info about that, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear about it. Anyway, OK, we, we, we promised going into the second half of the show, we were going to talk about what you learned about at the long late press day for for Frozen. Well, first of all, I have to tell you that there are at least two characters who do not have any toys related to them coming out on Friday. So Mm. there will be a second set. There's a a salamander character Mm. who I talked about who's very cute, who they Mm. meet in the woods. Right. Named Bruni. Bruni. Mm B-R-U-N-I. And then there is a kind of um, wind spirit Mm. named Gale. Get it? Okay. And uh, so those two characters are both not represented in any of the toys that we've seen yet. So before we move on to the actual meat of it, I just wanted to uh, let you know. Okay. No. Well, all right. Put them, put those on your radar, folks. And given that when I look at, at Bruni, I kind of see Pascal from Tangled. He's a little pascal yes. Okay. All right. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm no. just saying... You know, I mean, hell, you know, supposedly Rapunzel and Flynn Rider turned up when they opened the castle and froze at one. So I was just, you know, okay, oh, we got a cousin of Pascal. Oh, yeah. Shows yeah. up in the forest. Go figure. <laughs> um, okay. So Drew has shared with me three audio interviews that he did at the Long Lead Press Day for Frozen. We're just going to do one of them today, folks, and you'll get the other ones in upcoming episodes of, of Fine Tuning. But... First up, were you sat down with the art directors of Frozen 2? Yes, Lisa Game was the co-production designer, and then mm-hmm. I talked to David Wormsley, who is mm-hmm. the art director uh, of Environments. I don't want to give too much away here, folks. Why don't, no. we, why don't we go to, to straight into Drew's interview now? I would love for you guys first to just talk a little bit more about the use of VR and oh, how that it's, yeah. it's just really, it's really fascinating. No, it's yeah, like it was, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's sort of like new ground, right? Oh, yeah. 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 So, so you were designing the sets and the environments prior to going into VR. Yeah. Right? I mean, the, 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 many of the sets, well, the Arendelle sets had been created obviously for the first film. Uh, um, but, uh, some of the other sets obviously hadn't been, and uh, we did take a, a number of those sets, uh, and the, the VR guys uh, were great, to, to, uh, and, they, and they took all these sets into, into VR. Uh, so the Arendelle set itself was one, I mean, we took, we ended up, because we, we did a lot of work on the Arendelle set for this film, and they took that new version into, and uh, that, was, that was an amazing tool, to be able to walk around something that you've planned and, and designed and modeled um, and some of the other sets uh, the more organic sets were in there too and so we got a chance to actually go up and climb on these you know, or don't climb but we well you did walk actually, out on precipices that are that make you very un, 
unnerved. Yeah, right. some of the some yeah. of the, some of the cameras are high up on cliff edges and stuff, yeah. and you and can you're walking walk way up there. And it's weird that the brain just it, it responds to it the way it should mm-hmm. <laughs> for survival, you yeah. know, and you and you it can't does, yeah. override that yeah. unless you're looking at both at the same time. Well, after you were in there, were you like, yeah, that is a pretty good set, or did you did you make adjustments? I mean, what was sort of your reaction? Um, yeah, there were there were adjustments. I mean, uh, yes, yeah, certainly there were adjustments because we looked at uh, some of the some of the sets, and you know, you get down and you think where a camera might be, and you put your head where a camera might be, and you look at it and go, well, I don't know, that shouldn't be there, or maybe we should need to, or we need a hole here, you know, because mm-hmm. we don't have a hole, and you know, things like that. So it's very, it's very informative. Very informative, way. yeah. You talked about the influence of Ivan Earl. And uh, his design, I'm assuming from, from Sleeping Beauty more mm-hmm. than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Can you guys talk a little bit about him and how that he informed your design here for people who might not know who, who he is? Yeah, his sensibility is um, very elegant and, and quite organized. And that was something that in Frozen 1, elegance in the way we designed um, things on the vertical, um, and we wanted to bring that into this world. And I don't think he wasn't something, he was somebody that we actually looked at initially and said, we're going to emulate that. Mm. We had a problem. And we had a problem that was a really big forest that was very unwieldy. And we needed to find a way to organize that in, in spaces that we could digest, build, populate, um, that would maintain a style. Uh, so I think it was just sort of like, how do we do this? How do we create? And we started talking about shaping, organizing the trees into shapes. Hey, wait a minute. Somebody's already done that. Mm-hmm. Let's go reference this yeah, guy. Yeah. Let's let's see if this would actually speak to our film. And we were able to parse through his work and find, because not all of his work looks that way, but we could find concrete examples of, of what we might be able to uh, parlay off of. And that was our inspiration for um, being able to communicate. We knew what we wanted to do. We just didn't know how to communicate that to others. And this was a very clear way of being able to do that. Yeah, I think it was his way of organizing uh, shapes, uh, taking organic shapes and organizing them in a, an elegant fashion that would read aesthetically well. Because we, we, we had a choice with the forest. Well, we didn't have much of a choice because in, in, in the, the rest of the design, for Arendelle, we've always kind of made a balance. Um, uh, we, if, if realism is here and, and, and more cartoony stylization is here, we really have tried to, to keep a balance somewhere in the middle with all the buildings and everything else that we did. So when it came to the forest, we had to keep that same balance and be about the same. We wanted it to feel yeah. designed. Designed, yeah. But in a natural way. Right. You know? Can you compare the challenge of this forest to something like the internet in Ralph or something? Because everyone has said how challenging this is, the most challenging technological thing that you guys have done. Can you can you kind of compare those? Well, for me, organic is really difficult okay. because there's no rules. You know, there's no corners. There's no structure other than what you build into it. And, and organic is always squishy in that... Um, nature, while creating beautiful things, is is um, not necessarily always 
designed well or mm -hmm. um, designed for your camera. Mm -hmm. And so that was a challenge that, that we had to go through in order to make this a world that was aesthetically beautiful um, and pleasing and manageable. Right, but not overly synthetic. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 To strike that balance yeah. Really, yeah. between design and authenticity of, of, of the yeah. forest. Um, throughout today, we've heard just how sort of how much cross pollination there's been between departments in ways that seem very new and sort of refreshing. Where a character will be a background and also a special effect and oh, all okay. of that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. how did that affect your workflow and uh, how did you find that process? Um, messy. Okay. <laughs> it's messy. Uh huh. Um, you you start with a thought and a concept, an idea, and a piece of art, um, and then then everybody has to get involved and some of the some of the elements that we worked on were unable to be realized by one department you needed two departments and actually to actually see it um which makes it really messy because somebody has to work somebody has to parlay in has to go like this has to go like yeah, that has to fall apart has to do this and, and go back up very back and forth it's i call it it's very spherical okay um there's no, it's not linear at all. And that means that, um, you know, we can occasionally step on each other's process unintentionally. Right. Um, and that just has to happen in order for things to, to move forward. Um, so it's, it's, it's not as comfortable as far as like, well, I finished my job. Now you take it. Right. It's like, yeah. I finished today. And you get to take it today, and then I might get it back tomorrow, yeah. you know, kind of a thing. So right. it's, it, you never really get that sense of completion mm -hmm. until it's gone through everybody's Everyone. hands. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, Frozen is this huge juggernaut that lives outside of the movies. And uh, there will be, I'm sure, some kind of physical representation of your worlds, either in a theme park or on Broadway or something. Are these considerations that you guys take into the design or or is that sort of all after the fact we got to work on the broadway um theatrical oh, yeah, we, so it was an education for us okay we worked on the first movie then we got to work on broadway yeah and i remember there, there have been a few times on this film david and i looked at each other and went oh this will look great on broadway well, yeah. <laughs> you do because you, you um, can't help it now right you know, right like both experiences because i i i get uh you know the, the great people at WDI mm -hmm. Imagineering, you know, they, they they invite me over for my, and I've done some work as well. I've done I've done designs and stuff. Yeah. Before, but we certainly I've, I've I, I see you know I see them all the time and I'm always over there. Right. Uh, so there's a there's a quite a lot of um, back and forth uh, between various you know like uh, publishing, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes games, all kinds of stuff. You know, they'll come to us and. Does it make you happy to sort of maintain that level? You know, the same sort of like... I love it. Okay. I love it. I love what they're doing. I love going over there and seeing what they're doing. And it's just, a, you know, I mean, I'm a frustrated architect, you know. <laughs> or you know, I made models when I was a kid, you know. And right. I, I, love, I go over there and it's just like, oh my God, this place. Yeah. Awesome. Know, and I see Oof. what they're doing. And, and then, of course, that stuff is going to go into, you know, real architecture. Yeah, real yeah. Life. People, People will walk through it. Yeah. And Another reason to have virtual. Yeah, exactly. And it's something I've, I, I don't think I ever experienced to the degree. Well, I know I never experienced to the degree that that I have on Frozen with that interaction. Or yeah. That, 
No, because we didn't know it yeah. was going to become what it was going to become and no. have, have that need. That now, need yeah. now we know. Yeah. yeah. So. so you can anticipate. Yeah. yeah. I love all that stuff. Yeah. When you see the imagery in the trailer and the forest and the heavy mist work and, you know, the stylized way they do the magical creatures, this really sounds like next level stuff. Um, yeah. Did, did the footage you show, uh, see sort of bear that out? Or? Yeah, it looks very impressive. And, hmm. um, you know, the songs are really good that they played for us. Obviously, you heard a little bit of Into the Unknown earlier this week, but hmm. there, we've, I've heard at least two more songs, and they're hmm. both really great. And so, um, yeah, I think this is going to be a huge, huge hit. Um, hmm. And I cannot wait to see the finished product, which should be okay. soon, sooner rather than later. I think the day we were at animation, actually, they were finishing animation on the movie so it's all happening jim it's all it's mm. time to go back to arendelle okay okay well all right all right on the other hand how long do we have to wait for a new mission impossible we have to wait until the summer of 2021 but we're gonna get another one in the summer of 2022 so it'll be worth the wait you know okay. we'll have to, we'll have top gun next year to tide us over okay um but yeah if you want to hear more about like uh, mission impossible please listen to light the fuse every week um we've got tom cruise's stunt double coming up which is really exciting he was mm -hmm. his stunt double for 10 years mm -hmm. for the first two movies and we've got scott chambliss coming on who was a, a longtime jj abrams confederate who who did produ production design on Alias all the way through, I think, Star Trek Into Darkness. So wow. he's got some great stuff. He did the, the production design on Mission Impossible 3, mm -hmm. and he did it on Tomorrowland. So we actually, for the Disney geeks out there, we talk a lot about him recreating the World's Fair, shooting at uh, Disneyland and Disney World, all mm -hmm. that stuff. So it'll be worth your time, I promise. Very cool. All right. Yeah. Def definitely have to check that stuff out. Here on the Jimmy Media thing, we have... Disney Dish with uh, Lentesto. We have uh, Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. We have Looking at Lucasfilm with the, the amazing Dan Z. Uh, we also have the Marvelous Disney Show with the equally amazing Aaron Adams. And uh, God help me, we're going to get a new one of these recorded soon. I want that with Michelle Valladolid. Let's see, folks, if you, you like what Drew and I do, if you could do us both a favor and head over to iTunes and rate and recommend the shows, uh, that helps get this extra eyeballs. On the other hand, if you really, really, really like what we do, you can head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. Uh, that helps keep the lights on. And I think that's going to do it for this week, Drew. But uh, we, we got to do like something said, spooky next week. We got to do something. Yes, spooky. We, we, we have. We're going to start talking in, in honor of Halloween. Uh, about some of the, the spookier projects that the uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios worked on over time, things like the, you know, the Black Cauldron, in particular, the, the, all of the footage got cut out because it was <laughs> scaring the hell out of children. Too, too horrifying, yeah. Too horrifying <laughs> for children. Yeah, of course, that's, that's, that's what Disney wants to make. Uh, but... And, of course, we'll have uh, even more uh, of the audio interviews that uh, Drew uh, captured on uh, the long lead day for Frozen 2. So uh, be sure and come on back and listen to those. And till then, folks, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. Be sure to tune in again for another fine episode of Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor.